0: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast
1: series.
2: Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Backlash over the new Living With Covid plan. We'll have reaction as businesses and retailers warn the government's wait-and-see approach is not enough. On our first panel tonight, Minister of State for Employment Affairs and Retail, Damien English, and the Managing Director of Retail Excellence, Duncan Graham, and Gina Murphy, owner of Hugo's Restaurant. A new mandatory quarantine measure slammed as opposition pushes for strict quarantine for all arrivals to our shores. Plus, later in the programme, tonight's Irish Times, Ipsos MRBI poll reveals more than half of voters think the government is not doing a good job handling the pandemic. Is the coalition in a communications crisis? And golf star Tiger Woods is awake and responsive following horrific car crash. We have the very latest live from Los Angeles. Get in touch via Twitter with the hashtag TONIGHT, VMTV. Well, we're joined first by the Minister of State for Employment Affairs and Retail, Damien English, and also by the Managing Director of Retail Excellence, Duncan Graham, and via Skype by Gina Murphy, the owner of Hugo's Restaurant. But Duncan, if I can start with you, I can't imagine many of your members thought that you were going to be opening up quickly. But what did you make of the fact that last night you weren't given any real indication of when you might be able to open up at all?
3: Look, I I think, Matt, today we've taken a lot of uh, calls from members across the country. You know, we've got 2,000-odd members across the country and they're all disappointed and frustrated, I think, at this moment in time. You know, they were looking for some clarity and some certainty coming out of the government's announcement last night and we got, frankly, zero, uh, other than a short extension of the supports that are currently in place. You know, if, if you look at what's happening in retail at this moment in time non-essential retailers have been closed for getting on for seven of the last 12 months since the original lockdown. You know, and we've got no certainty at the moment in terms of when things are going to end. You know, we had that certainty in in November that we were opening up again on the 1st of December. You know, we went into this lockdown and we're being told it was going to be the end of January. We were then told it was going to be the 5th of March. were, We're now being told that it will be reviewed on the 5th of April. Um, so there is no certainty, and and retailers are in, financially in a very difficult situation at the moment.
4: Damien English, how is that fair? It's not fair, Matt, at all, and Duncan knows that, and the virus is not fair, but we, we're not in a position. It's too early to give that clarity, and we, we can't do it because the numbers don't allow it as of yet. We, we are sorry, the and British
2: government on Monday Boris Johnson told the people of England a very clear step by step outline of when they can expect things to be open
4: I, I think Matt over the last year you've seen a different approach both here and there and people can judge the results themselves on that in relation to well
2: they're spread. way ahead of us on the vaccine well, that's the key sorry, issue sorry Matt
4: I'd focus on public health matters the number of deaths over there are very different to here but just to be clear here it is fair to say and Duncan's right we are taking a very cautious approach here which is probably different to the, to the approach that we try to, we tried to open restrictions in, in December. We have learned from that and we are very nervous for that because the figures are still extremely high. We Sorry,
2: know... Are you blaming the opening of retail in December for what happened? Because an awful lot of people would say that it was quite clearly the variant brought in from the UK, the travel that was allowed in, people meeting up in households over Christmas may have been the key factor, not people going into shops.
4: I, I, Matt, I've never ever said any particular area is to blame and nobody has. It's the spread of a virus and the only way we can stop 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 it is to to limit contacts and limit the mobility of people and that means restrictions that none of us like and they're driving everybody mad especially those in business and retail I I mean I know this I deal with Duncan and his team on a weekly basis it's horrible it's not nice for any of us. Is there Families, any indication socially...
2: that there is problems because of essential retail being opened? Because if essential retail could be opened safely, why then can't non-essential thing.
4: See, see Matt, every group we sit down with in every sector, we sit down and you focus in it and everybody makes the same case. We all do it ourselves in a house, where it's not our house, it's not here, it's not there. But the bottom line is the virus moves around our communities by people, by ourselves moving around. All the restrictions are about restricting the movements of people. All the goods are still accessible just to have to be ordered online or remotely and then delivered. It is difficult. It's not nice. It is having devastating consequences for business. We know that and I know that. And that's why the supports are there. And the only bit of good news I think we have to focus on, which is important, unlike last year when we were coming into COVID and no-one knew when we'd have vaccines, we have a vaccination programme now underway. We have secured and we know we have access to 18 million-plus vaccines in the months ahead. Is that reassuring to you, By April, May, June, this is a a change in country in relation to the rollout of the vaccination. That's important to to recognise that too.
3: Matt, Matt, what we got last night was the Taoiseach saying three things need to happen, yeah? And it was, it was around the daily case numbers, the co- community transmissions. We got the, the, the numbers in hospitals and in ICU as the second measure, and we got the third one being the vaccines. But what we need now, if we're going to be talking data, what we need now is what are those numbers? So what is the daily case number that we need to be looking at? Because, you know, at the moment we've got, what, five, 600 cases a day. You know, when we go back a month, we were up nearly 8,000 cases a day. Mm. So we've clearly made an awful lot of inroads already. You know, when you look at the vaccine programme, we need to know from government, is it going to be a question of, you know, all the over-70s, for example, and all the vulnerable people and all the healthcare workers... Yeah, it yeah but
2: it's not a case, though, yeah. if you're talking about non-essential retail, by definition, if it's non-essential, do you
3: not just have to suck it up for the public good? I, I think what's happening here, Matt, is that there is a blurring now happening of what's essential and what's not essential. You know, you try telling a, a mother whose child needs a pair of shoes that those things are not essential. You know, where the only way of getting her, her, her son's feet measured is with the proper measurement tool. You know, those sort of things need to happen. You know, a, a good way out of this, and the Minister knows this, we, we've spoken about it regularly, is click and collect. You know, click and collect... Was not part of the level five restrictions. It was actually bought in. The government announced the level five restriction on the 31st of of December, if you remember, click and collect was brought in a week after that. And it was brought in for the reasons that the Minister said to stop people's movement. We're now at a level at you know, 500 cases on a daily basis where click and collect could be brought in. Why not,
2: Minister? I can think of my local bookshop as an example that I'd like to be able to click and collect, but I'm not allowed to do so.
4: Yeah, Matt, and it would make all our lives a lot lot easier and it would greatly help businesses. But the problem is that the number of cases in the community are still too high. We're at... In around 600 on average, thankfully, it is beginning to come down. It was kind of stuck around 800 for a while. It is going in the right way. We've made massive progress since the start of January when we were at 6,000 plus. Massive progress. And we want to build on that progress. But that does mean that we have to stay with the restrictions for a couple of more weeks, heading into the 5th of April till we we monitor the the reopening of schools and how that goes. The real concern is here that when we reopen society, which we're doing first with, with schools Childcare, what will happen in relation to the, the, to the variant and to the number of cases? We'll judge that and we'll use that to, to re- reopen other parts of society. But, but trust me, I mean, I'm in, I'm in the Department of Trade, we would rather have people trading, of course, we would. But we also cannot let the virus spiral out of control again well, with the devastating to you in consequences the moment, it's had. About in the, last the month.
2: incomes for people and jobs, and I want to go to Gina Murphy of Hugo's Restaurant in Marion Row in Dublin. Gina, what did you make of what was announced last night? Did it give you any hope that you'll be open for business? At any stage during the summer?
5: No. <laughs> Did it give anybody in hospitality any hope? Absolutely not. There's no clarity. There's no roadmap for us. Um, we feel like we've been cut out and left out to the wolves here. There's, there's nothing to give us any reassurance. And we don't have enough supports to stay closed. You know, you can't just close your doors and think that it doesn't cost money. Um, the Chris grant just does not go far enough. It doesn't cover even 50% of the fixed costs of the business. Um, we're still dealing with bank loans. We need to get moratoriums on the loans that do not affect our credit ratings. We need we can't get moratoriums on our life insurance policies that are tied up with the loans. Um, and, and our staff, our staff are struggling. They're at their wit's end. It's just untenable. It's not fair.
2: What's your solution, though, Gina?
5: Well, we need more. The Chris Grant has to be upped. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. I mean, it barely covers half the cost of staying closed. And we have to maintain our premises. We have to pay our insurance, our security. Our, we have to keep heat going. We have to keep these businesses in a condition that can be reopened. Um, we need the Chris Grant doubled. I mean, that's, that's a given. We need key personnel supports. Our staff cannot live on 350 euros a week and provide for the their families and feed them and pay mortgages. These people are used to making twice that. And and they're being asked to take a pay cut of like 50%, a lot of our staff, and, and survive on it. And it's to be honest, it's the most disrespectful thing ever. We're, we're being told we must not work, but we are not being supported in that.
2: mean English, I mean, this is going on for nearly a year now. These are people who have lost their jobs. And yes, you have given them support in the pandemic unemployment Mm. payment, but it is not compensating for all they've lost. The bills are mounting, the cash reserves are gone, and there's a fear that they'll have no jobs to go back to. Is there too high a price to be paid, perhaps, in trying to suppress this virus?
4: Well, I think if we don't suppress the virus, the price would be too high with thousands of lives that could be lost. We've already seen uh, such a, you know, at this stage, over 4,000. Uh, individual people have lost their lives and their families greatly affected because of the virus. So none of us want that. That's number one. I think, that, I think even Gina doesn't want that either. So, but there's a fair ask there. For, for, to build on the supports that are there, and we have to recognise, we did allocate taxpayers' money at the tune of over 30 billion to all the various supports. But it is, as, as this goes on into the into the into the 12th month and moving on from that, we are relooking at all the supports. The first part, I think, yes, it was important to extend the existing supports, which everyone says are certainly useful. They do not replace every lost euro. They don't replace all the lost turnover. They are a contribution towards helping. Re- some of the fixed costs, but there are many other continuing costs that Gina has touched on there, and we are working with all the various sectors to see can we bring out more supports and build on that. That's number one. But number two, and again, Gina's right, it is very, very hard for staff who don't know have they got a job in the future again? I would have a little bit different interpretation than Gina of this plan. I think the key here is around the vaccination. The only guarantees you can give is that we can permanently control this virus if we have a vaccination proper rollout. That's been ramped up now. The supply is coming in as as, as arranged over the months ahead. We know that by April, May and June there's a totally different delivery of vaccine in this country. We'll be, we'll be 250,000 a week plus. So we know by even by May 98% of the vulnerable people that are in danger with, with, with with, um, from Covid will be protected So everything can open dose. up then can it? Uh, again the, the, the opening up and reopening up of societies from April the 5th on, has been relooked based on four things Matt yes the rollout of the vaccination which is key the suppression of the virus which is absolutely key the number of people in hospital uh, as well as how we're dealing with the different variants but the okay. vaccination is key to this that it's so Daniel, all that.
2: the decisions are going to be made on a health basis, it would seem, Duncan, rather than actually with economics in mind. Will there be a lot of zombie businesses which, once you start removing the supports and the protections, will, because of the undermining of their foundations, be gone come summer?
3: Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the, you look at the situation we had at Christmas. It was false. You know, we had a lot of stores trading very nicely, a lot of pop-up shops and things like that, Mm. yeah? When we actually do eventually reopen, those pop-up shops won't be there. There'll be a lot of shutters down on, on retail premises at that point, mm-hmm. you know, at, the, at this moment in time, we've 280,000 people employed in retail. As it stands of today, there are about 76,000 of those that are claiming the PUP. Every time we've reopened the economy following a lockdown, we've brought less of those people back into into work. You know, we know for a fact that last year there are at least hundred high-profile businesses, retailers that shut down as a result of this pandemic. You know, and we're now seeing examples of you know, smaller retailers, boutiques, for example, who are now saying, mm. look, I, I've had enough of the bricks and mortar, I'll take my chances online and I'll shut my door. I want to go back to Gina,
2: because Gina, I know that when you were briefly reopened before Christmas, your capacity was cut to about 55% for social distancing. But even in a reduced circumstances, will you be able to fill, given that it seems Dublin city centre has been sort of hollowed out, lack of tourists, lack of people coming from around the country for major events, and the office is all shut. Will there actually be business for restaurants like yours?
5: Well, I think Dublin city centre is is a particularly um, really tricky place to, to survive in it right now. I mean, normally you'd love to have a place in the city centre. Now, now I couldn't give it away. But... Um, I mean, the reality is, we we have no tourists. We have no commercial tourists. They're an integral part of our business in Dublin City Centre, which are people that fly in and out for meetings that are here for a day or two. That's something that really has to be addressed. We have no events. We have no theatre. We have no plays, no gigs, no no matches. We have nothing to pull the people into the city, um, and and in order to survive, you know, we have to be we have to start thinking outside the box to protect these businesses. We we are, by the way, we we are also the taxpayers. So I mean. You know, looking at spending taxpayers' money is the money that we have contributed to the society as we've been working for, for decades now. So, I mean, it's just looking after us who have always contributed in. But and, and then on another note, I mean, look, if we could look after ourselves, we would. But, I mean, like, take my place. I got to trade for 13 days. I've traded for 13 days since the 18th of September. Last year, my business was closed for 222 days. And it's, there's nothing left in the tank. I need supports to be able to look after my staff so that I have staff to reopen a business. I can't reopen a business on my own. I need all my key personnel. I need their skill sets that, are, that are, they have worked so hard for, for so many years to develop and hone. And they, they deserve the respect of being looked after in this pandemic, they Amy, really do.
2: do you think to really do people who are making the decisions, who are nearly all public servants, who are not affected financially because they've still been paid their wages, understand what the likes of Gina is going through when running a business and facing potential closure?
4: Matt, I have no doubt, but they do. Of course they do. They're very intelligent people uh, and they come from all sorts of backgrounds. I mean, I'm in the Department of Enterprise, Trade and Employment. We sit there every day engaging with businesses like Gina, like Duncan, and many thousands of more on a daily basis, listening to the story, teasing through, trying to work out solutions here. So there's no one under any any doubt of the devastating consequences of dealing with COVID. But the only way we can guarantee long-term success for all these businesses to come back is to put the virus to bed and to have a vaccine programme that keeps it that way, keeps it under control that we don't have to lock down again. Absolutely we have to build on the supports that are there there have been been some very successful uh, financial schemes put in place and supports it won't be enough to really put all these businesses in a strong position so that's why we are as part of this plan is the economic recovery plan which again will use the 3 billion plus that's set aside in the budget for new supports for a new recovery because we know Gina, Duncan and all their members will need additional support and that's what we have to do
2: The VAT rate is going back to 23% from 21, does that mean Make any difference?
3: It does. Look, it's just one of those things, isn't it? We've, we've had a situation where the government have extended those supports and quietly the VAT rate goes back up. So, you know, there's, there's nothing there for, for, for retailers. You know, retailers are struggling financially, they're struggling to pay their rent, there's nothing there for rents and, and to support. And we've been talking to the minister mm-hmm. for a long time around, um, you know, a, a, an independent arbitrary body for rents uh, to sort. That, that area out, because that will result in, in, in store closures in the future. You know, the extension fine to the middle part of the year. Now, how many times have we seen a three-month extension going on uh, so far? There's nothing new there. There's no new online retail scheme that, uh, you know, was so successful in bringing people through Enterprise Island, picking up that scheme uh, during the course of last year. We had two rounds of it last yeah, year with, with nothing on no, it. The, and the so fair point, Duncan, that's why, because that
4: was a very successful scheme, uh, and there was £10 million set aside for two more rounds of that scheme, which will be open up now during, during March. We also had the online trading voucher last year, 13,000 companies. So there are a lot of positives, but and again, and we build on that, and I think Duncan is right around the, the, the whole area of trying to build on the code of conduct for, for the conversation between tenants and landlords, and again, the additional supports. Chris has been extended and doubled in some cases over Christmas as well. We are reviewing all that, but, okay. but I, I think to be fair to anybody in business, I think we have to look. So now we know that we have our vaccines. We know that strategy is in place, and that will give us the long-term uh, recovery to bounce off. I think I think we can do this, but and I will be, will be full of hope, to be honest with you. But it will take a little bit longer. It means another, you know, this this lockdown well, five is still very there. It's very important to but we hundreds of it.
2: thousands of people mm. who are out of work on the pup. We'll leave it there for the moment. Thank you very much to Gina Murphy and Duncan Smith for joining us. Minister Damien English will be staying with us because after the break, the government's new mandatory quarantine measures have been slammed by the opposition. Do we need mandatory quarantine for all arrivals to our shores? But there's also some good news on vaccines for the variants coming up.
6: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands.
2: Welcome back. Well, Minister of State Damien English is still with us. We're also joined by People Before Profit TD Breed Smith and via Skype by the Professor of Immunology with Manoos University, Paul Moyna. And Paul, start on a positive note for us, please. What's the good news today about the Johnson & Johnson vaccine?
1: Yes, it's really good news, uh, Matt. So uh, the FDA briefing document is going for approval of the FDA. So the FDA briefing document was published today. And again, the data looks really good. So again, this is the vaccine, the one-dose vaccine gives really good protection. Uh, The trial data is coming from a number of countries, including South Africa, which obviously is where one of the variants originated from. And again, it's showing really good uh, protection, uh, especially against serious illness uh, hospitalization. So this is really, really good news. Obviously it has to be approved. It's going through the European process as well, through the EMA. But obviously in terms of the ease and convenience, in terms of storage, distribution, administration especially, um, this this really will be a really good asset for us moving forward.
2: And there was also some good news from Scotland in relation to the AstraZeneca vaccine working down well with the over 70s. So would that suggest, despite the concerns at EU level, that we should reverse our position in Ireland and start giving it to the over 70s?
1: I think at the very least, Matt, we should look at that. Um, so originally it was decided here in Ireland not to administer to the uh, over 70s. And the reason being that the data was quite limited from the phase three trials. But now actually we're getting real world data. And some of the data has come out the last day, especially from England. And as you mentioned, uh, Scotland, again, really, really promising showing, for example, in the over 80s, it's giving over 80% protection from hospitalizations and serious illness. And I think, again, we really need to look at that because the original intention was to give that AstraZeneca to the over 70s. Um, and as a result, because of the limited phase three data, it was decided to use the Pfizer and Moderna for the over 70s that prolongs the administration and time and I think now with the AstraZeneca because of this and because it works in the over 70s and again the ease of storage distribution administration I think that's something we should definitely look at to increase the speed of vaccination especially for those vulnerable groups and
2: then also what about what the British have been doing in extending the length of time between the first and second shots so that they've not far off a quarter of the population on the first shot, but less than 1% on the second shot. It was criticized as risky, but is it paying off for them? And is it something we should be doing?
1: I think it probably is paying off, Matt, with the Pfizer, Pfizer and the Moderna. The recommendation there is to space between a period of three to four weeks Um, they have lengthened that out considerably even though manufacturers have recommended a shorter um, intervening period Um, AstraZeneca also the really good news with AstraZeneca is that the efficacy actually increases as you increase that duration uh, and that time between the first and second dose so with the AstraZeneca you can go up to 12 weeks after the first dose to administer the second dose and again that's a big advantage of the AstraZeneca so all of these things would allow us to increase the number of people that at least get the first dose, which is showing really good efficacy, really good protection, and get as many of the vulnerable uh, vaccinated as soon as possible.
2: Okay, Minister Damien English, yes, the British had a disaster in dealing with the illness last year, 120,000 people dead, which per head of population is possibly the worst in the world. But they seem to be getting the vaccination process right. Do we need to be copying an awful lot more of what they're doing?
4: But I think to be clear, I think in relation to our vaccination strategy, vaccination strategy we have seen we can adapt it and we do change uh, when we get the, the various evidence and uh, the, you know and, and recommendations. So, of course, that's been monitored on a weekly basis and Paul is right. Uh, we should always take on board what's happening in other, in other countries and we do do that. Um, and so that'll happen, of course, uh, but I but I am quite confident that we now have over 7,500 People trained to give out the, the vaccines and the different types of ones. We have our supply pretty much uh, guaranteed that we're, uh, over the months ahead. So we're, we're in a good position. People will say to us and compare different countries. I think the, the, judgment, the judgment of this would be kind of come May, June, where we all stand. I believe the gaps in ourselves and the UK will probably close over time. And again, you were saying it's a risky strategy. Paula said it seems to have paid off. Seems, seems, seems. We have a strategy here using the different vaccines that we have secured. I think that will pay off too. You know that's important that we that we, we it
2: about Something else the government has a strategy on is mandatory quarantine which they seem to want to limit and even delay bringing in. What, what's your take on that?
6: Well, we think that the the bill that's going through at the moment is like a half assed bill and it's going to take about four weeks for them to be able to implement it. Uh, in the meantime, thousands of people are coming into the country every day um, and also the identification of 20-odd different countries that they want to exclude but some of them are the countries where we have the least amount of inward travel. So some of the countries across Europe that aren't excluded, uh, that can come and go without the mandatory quarantine, have very high rates um, of infection. Um, and what we want to see is that there's mandatory quarantine for all travellers into the country. Including and the those bill, from Britain. Yeah, and the bill doesn't do that. The bill doesn't do that at all. And we want to see that being implemented because... Uh, What about
2: about essential workers and what about people bringing supplies into the country? Obviously, you have
6: to do something for truck drivers, people bringing cargo, health workers, etc. And there is a way around that. And the bill actually provides a way around that as well. But in terms of the quarantine and of w- where they're coming from it is a selective group of countries and it will not deal with the real issue and it would not get the it, it will not do the trick that it's meant to do it's also going to take three to four weeks before they can implement it and and we've passed legislation at the drop of a hat overnight very quickly complex legislation to ban evictions to freeze rents and all the rest of it over the last year. But this particular measure, which we've been screaming at the government to implement to stop uh, um, non-essential travel and to quarantine uh, all non-essential travel coming into the country. They're now bringing it in 10 months later and they're doing it half-assed. Why
2: this approach? You you don't want people travelling more than five kilometres from their home unless it's for essential reasons. But people can come from 5,000 kilometres away and potentially bring illness with them.
4: Well, first of all, a decision was made because of the, what happened during December with the, with the UK variant. We did make a decision to reintroduce quarantine. And for the last few weeks, there's been quarantine at home. And you have to also have the, the, the PCR test coming from certain countries as well. We're building on that is now. Is that
2: really good enough?
4: Well, and to be honest with Matt, I, I understand it is working extremely well. But what we are going for, and that's, and Breed is right, the bill that's been coming through the houses that come in today. Why is it, it taking about, so long? We're at the end of February. Okay, well, the, 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 what it is, first of all, the bill is coming through the houses today uh, and will be in legislation. It's quite serious legislation, I mean, to, to quarantine somebody in a hotel. It's a big move for this country. We have looked at what's happening. It's been done in other world.
2: countries very it, successfully. It, it has. I mean, have and we not learned from what it, they've done in it, New Zealand
4: and, and Australia? Exactly, and we're in communication with them. And it hasn't been done in every country across Europe, by the way. It is very rare that it's used in Europe. We are, we are going to do that now. That's happening. Breed referenced uh, her concern around that we only, we've only named 20. The legislation doesn't actually pick what countries, it's category two countries. And then thereafter, the regulation uh, will, will name the countries that we believe have to have quarantine in a hotel. Uh, and and that can change on a weekly basis, daily basis, uh, based on that and based on evidence. So so Breed, if Breed is concerned in a particular area uh, that comes under category two, that will be reflected and in regulations. Problem, doesn't need to be in legislation. With the method so I that think the, the bill
6: is adopting Damien is the slowness with which it'll be implemented. Instead of saying here's all the countries that we yeah, We're but not but letting but anyone but again, in and if there's a country that is a green, clean country, we look at that and change yeah, and, that, and change the, the that's, that's, that, yeah, and, and change the, the regulatory order. So it's, but it's, the it's... regulatory order is working the other way around mm. and the minister is obliged by the legislation to study each country by country. It's going to be slow, cumbersome. And it's, as I say, it's Breed, a half But I, I want to move t-
2: on. And what do you think, though, of the other things that were announced last night? Are you happy with the measures for the slow reopening, such as the schools returning?
6: I'm very concerned about the schools returning. I really, I get it 100% how parents and kids and, and teachers feel about the need for school to, uh, to, to be normalised and for people to go back. But I'm really concerned... Concerned. And I'll tell you why, Matt. Um, we've had 10 months since the, the pandemic started with the full knowledge that in our schools, 80 percent of them are properly ventilated, for example, uh, that we have the highest class sizes in Europe, uh, that we the sort of contact tracing that we use for children in schools is very different to the rest of society. And um, so the, the, the sort of science that they're saying schools are safe, schools are safe hasn't actually proved to be true in reality. And schools are only safe when when uh, transmission in the community is low. And Minister, you can't say that transmission in the cu- community is low now. It's not. Mm-hmm. On the one hand, you have uh, Neffitt saying it may be safe to go back to school, but please stay away from each other. Yeah. You can't reopen with t- tens of thousands uh, yeah, of people And to, and to be around. fair to
4: Breed, the, the conversation that, that you've just had is what's been happening over the last five or six weeks with all the education and partners and everyone has been, has been reassured that we, we do this very slowly and cautiously and picking out certain years with the public health it's advice. It's a gamble. It's, it, a, it's well, a very it's, it's, serious I think gamble. it's more of a, it's, again, why why is is that all we're doing? Because we want to, we'll we we'll open up some classes and that will be reviewed and watched and tracked and then we can make more decisions based on that. So it's well, very cautious. Let's bring Paul Minor back careful, in this because this I, I is his area
2: say. of
1: expertise. Yeah. Are you happy with the idea
2: of the schools going back? i
1: certainly be supporting schools opening now. I, I think... I understand it breeds uh, reservations, but if you look at all of these decisions, there's a trade-off. And I think if you look over the last year, for example, primary school children have missed almost 100 school days. There's an enormous amount secondary school children, you know, up to 80 days. I think some of the things we certainly could improve on, so around ventilation, I certainly agree. Like if you look at this virus, I think this virus is showing clear signs of being seasonal. One of the reasons why I think it's seasonal is because, you know, we're spending more time indoors and especially in very dry air. So we need to look at ventilation and humidity. So even using things like, for example, carbon dioxide monitors as a surrogate measure for air staleness and when we need to ventilate. Because at the moment, many schools, and certainly I'm aware of schools before Christmas time, you know, leaving windows open, and it's not the most comfortable, especially for young children. So even using things like, the carbon dioxide monitors to help us in this in terms of the monitor when ventilation is required i think would be a help i think it's really really important that schools open
6: and, and my point is that the government have known that our ventilation in, in the majority of schools is poor they've had 10 months to address it and they haven't done it i asked Leo edgar last week have you um, ensured that ventilation is going to be improved in the schools before the kids go back and he couldn't answer me because they haven't done it now that is very negligent to say on the one hand that we want the kids back and we do want the kids back. We all want to see them back. But not to put the provisions in place is purely negligent. Yeah, just, and that's why you gambling.
4: To give Brie yeah, some reassurance here, there has been a team working on the ventilation part of this for the last couple of months and I understand they're due to report this week. And that's fed into the discussions with our education partners as well because we have spent a lot of time well, to reassure. See it, Amy, and I heard the principal uh, on sorry, the radio but, this because, morning. Can I just make, make a point, Matt? We, we, you know, we would have liked to vote in the schools earlier, but because we had to go through the process of reassuring everybody that it was safe to do so, that that's why they're only opening next week. I'm glad they are. Very last for, word And we were building you. the success of that as well. But, last but word the ventilation years. is part of that conversation
6: well, as well. Look, I mean, I, I I, just think that they've been negligent and that this is a real gamble. Can I just say on the vaccines? Very quickly, uh, People please. are really screaming and today the care, the family carers were hugely disappointed. There's a problem with supply. And we will appeal, and I'm asking the Minister here now, for the Irish government to support the uh, motion before the World Trade Organisation to lift and suspend all intellectual property rights on the production of vaccines so that countries with industrial capacity can produce them without companies holding on to the intellectual property rights. And that would deal with supply, make it more efficient, make it quicker and make it cheaper for everybody because it's a pandemic. By definition, it affects everybody on the planet, including those in the poorest sections of the the world.
2: Okay, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to Paul Moyne and Breed Smith. After the break, more than half of voters say the government is not doing a good job in handling the pandemic. We'll also be hearing live from Los Angeles where golf star Tiger Woods is recovering from a serious car crash.
0: Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby.
2: Welcome back. We'll return to the domestic politics in a moment, but we're joined now by CNN's Connor Paul live from Harbor UCLA Medical Center in Los Angeles, where Tiger Woods is recovering following a horrific car accident on Tuesday morning. Connor, what's the latest on his medical condition?
7: Yeah, Matt, we understand that he is awake, he's responsive and he is recovering and he faces uh, some serious, difficult challenges to the road to recovery. That's because the injuries he sustained yesterday in this car accident here in Los Angeles, are pretty significant. Um, We know that he has a a broken leg in two places and his right leg, both his tibia and fibia were broken. We also know that he has a broken ankle. They put a rod in his right leg. They put pins and screws in his right ankle. There's also significant damage to the muscle tissue in both legs. So uh, the doctor said that yesterday's surgeries were there to help stabilize the injuries, meaning that it's likely that Tiger Woods will face new surgeries in the coming days and weeks to repair some of those injuries. So we know he is essentially awake. He's doing well uh, in that sense, but a lot of significant damage to both legs um, below the waist, Matt.
2: We just were looking at some of the pictures of the car being removed, and certainly he was a fortunate man to get out of that alive. But, of course, it isn't the first time that he has been involved in a car accident. Others have been while driving under the influence. Do we know the circumstances yet of yesterday's crash?
7: We don't know the circumstances, but the L.A. Sheriff's Department has said twice now, both yesterday and again today, that they don't believe Tiger Woods was under any type of influence of drugs or alcohol. They said he was awake and receptive, uh, responsive yesterday during the crash when they was trying to get out of the vehicle. He was able to tell deputies uh, his name, where he was, and so he didn't appear to be under the, the influence of any type of drug or alcohol. Um, they think he was driving too fast on a very windy and hilly road. It's a road that That there has been previous accidents, according to sheriff's deputies, since last January. Essentially, one year, there's been 13 accidents on this stretch of road in an area called Rancho Palos Verdes. So it's known as a difficult and dangerous driving area. And they think, according to law enforcement, that Woods lost control of his vehicle probably because he was going too fast. But they've said. He's not going to face any uh, criminal charges uh, that he didn't appear to be under the influence and he didn't appear to be distracted uh, texting or doing anything else right now. They think this was just a speed event and an actual accident. But the investigation is still ongoing, so it could change. But that's the opinion right now of the L.A. Sheriff's uh, Department.
2: Connor. he has come back in the past from some very, very serious surgery on his back and I think astonished everybody by coming back to win the Masters in 2019. But... Are there fears now that this could be a blow too far, that this could be the golf career that he clearly still loves so much could be finished by these latest injuries?
7: It has to be considered Matt. Uh, even on Sunday before the accident, he did an interview with CBS during a, a tournament here in Los Angeles. Uh, he just had back surgery five or so weeks ago. It was his fifth back surgery. Even on Sunday in that interview, he wasn't um, it wasn't really positive that he was going to get back to playing anytime soon. So, even before the accident with the back injuries, you know, there was real questions about how much more tournament play we would see out of Tiger Woods with this injury. He's got uh, broken bones in multiple places in his right leg, a broken ankle, uh, skin and tissue damage. I mean, these are difficult things to come back from uh, under the best of circumstances. You add in his age, you add in the fact that he's had multiple back surgeries and injuries. Uh, This is a a real challenge. That said, I will tell you, everyone we have heard talk about Tiger Woods who knows him says don't underestimate him. Don't count him out. This is is a guy who has overcome a lot in his career. Uh, And maybe we will see him play. But I can tell you, Matt, right now, you know, the, the main issue right now is stabilizing these injuries not getting them back on the golf course right now. It's just not something that's feasible. They gotta make sure that these injuries get stabilized and put right before they can begin any type of rehabilitation, Matt. Conor
2: Paul of CNN thank you very much for joining us here on the Tonight Show now let's return to domestic politics Minister of State Damien English is still with us we're also joined by columnist with the Irish Examiner political commentator Alison O'Connor and can you start maybe giving us some of the details of the latest opinion poll published tonight the Ipsos MRBI poll for the Irish Times because it is not good news is it for the government parties No it's not
8: and I think that the government uh, parties uh, well to be fair to the Greens actually there is some good news for them it's more in terms of Fianna and Finnegale, i think uh, they would they'll rue the timing of the poll if you like it really is very bad timing for them um but just to give some some detail uh the, this was the the thing that stands out is that more than half of voters say the government is not doing a good job on the pan on handling the pandemic and another headline is that and the personal rating of the thonish of Radker is down by 13 points now to be fair to him the last time that was measured uh, in this series of polls was in October and he was at a stratospheric 65. Um, so, you know, it's not—it's a significant drop, but it, he's still up there. But it's also bad news for the Taoiseach with uh, a, you know, a very high percentage of people. Um, 56% saying he's doing a bad job, again, to do with the pandemic and the health minister, um, Stephen Donnelly. And then in terms of the parties, uh, again, a drop for Fianna Fáil. Things had been looking a little better for them in, in, in other recent polls over the last few months but they're at 14 down 3 Fine Gael are down as well from they're at 30 and they're down 5 and interestingly and I'm not sure what the the reason for this is that the Greens are at 6 up 2 so they've they've regained a little and the other interesting thing is that it's a very it's, it's a very minimal move for Sinn Féin they're 28 down 1 but I guess you're, you would always be nervous in a, in a political party and as the, Mary Macdonald, the leader that any sort of a, a drop, you don't want that, to see that as a, the beginning of any sort of a trend. I'm well, not saying that it is. but me, that Alison,
2: the very interesting line about the more than half of the people thinking that the government's not doing yeah. a good job in the pandemic. Yeah. strikes so, me there's two issues there. One, yeah. it's bad for the political parties themselves yeah. from a political point of view. Yeah. But does it also suggest then that they may struggle to get the public buy-in to measures which are regarded as essential for fighting COVID-19?
8: Absolutely. Now, there is one There is one that, that confused me where it said that, that the Taoiseach's overall approval rating had risen slightly from 39 to 42. And I think that there is no getting away from the fact that, uh, you know, we're all in a very bad mood. And why wouldn't we be? I mean, I'm intrigued by the Amoric research that came out that the government has been conducting since the start as to how we're all feeling. That it came out yesterday, I think it was, and said that only 44% of people reported feeling frustrated and
4: I just thought to myself... You just mother, know all those people. Mother maybe. of God, we're like, what are the rest <laughs> doing? And are you're they a, on... You could double that.
8: <laughs> are they on some sort of prescription drugs? And I'm only half laughing saying that. Mm. I'm sure a lot of people have had to turn. You know, and that only 40% said they felt stressed. I mean, it's very difficult. We're a year into a pandemic. Mm. We've been in lockdown for such a long time. We're all under such stress. And, and fear—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's hard to, you know, to, Damien, to reason that
2: within the political parties, because we were hearing the usual authoritative reports from within the parliamentary party meetings tonight, which at this stage may as well be broadcast, that there was a lot of criticism of Taoiseach Mihal Martin in the Fine Gael meeting, that he's doing you an awful lot of damage.
4: It doesn't affect the meeting I was at, but look, there's two things there. First of all, I think, to be fair, the poll reflects the mood of the nation. I mean, people are we're in level five. It's a, The virus is really affecting all our lives, our home lives, our families' lives. Every part of society is affected by the virus. But and you're this, losing them. Yeah,
2: you're uh, losing them. Uh, had more than uh, half sorry, them sorry, think Mark, you're not doing point, the right thing.
4: Point. Yeah, because they're really, really, I, I mean, the country is really fed up of COVID. So that's going to be reflected in any poll of any government, number one. Number two. Dealing with a virus is not a popularity contest. We have to try to get the right uh, results on this and the right actions. I think, I, think, I believe we, are, we have. I think in a few months' time, people will see this is a very, very different country. Your you're concern, will, will, will the public follow the advice of government? I think over the last probably 10, 11 months, the public of this, uh, the people living in Ireland have actually followed the advice and have defeated and pushed back the virus on a few occasions now, and will do it again. And I think will drive the recovery of this country. So I, I, I have a different view because I can see what's happening across the government different government departments with the interventions, or the vaccine. We will be in a very different place in a couple of months. But it's a very difficult time. Can the government depend
2: on that? That things will improve for them as the vaccination program rolls out? Well, it's, that it's the about, but it's but, the but, sorry, I mean, I mean, a bad feeling towards the government. But I mean, Matt, to be
4: it's not about us. It's about the health of the nation. That's the most important. That's our work here. Is to put this very back still, The
2: point still holds to you.
8: Alison. Well, first of all, is you have to say if you go back on. These Amoric surveys over the months it generally shows that the majority of people are with the government in terms of the restrictions that are that are that are put in place. So I think that what this might—I think you have a point. You would worry that people might, uh, you know, say, "I've had enough of this," and I don't believe the government is handling it competently anymore. But you could equally say that does it reflect what happened last week—the real looseness there was in government communication? Um, you know, one minister saying this, another minister saying that, the Taoiseach saying something else, and the people just felt really fed up and as if their feelings weren't being taken into account and that, they were, you know, you were being, was construction opening, wasn't it, when we're school. I think a particular yeah. low point was the appearance of the Minister for Health on the Clare Byrne show on Monday night, when I think every parent in the country, myself included, uh, nearly had a heart attack. Uh, when uh the minister said that they, there there were still union issues um to do with the the, the return of, of of children to school, and this poll was taken on Monday and and Tuesday, so that's what I meant at yeah, the start we, we, in terms of even the timing. We're not in any the timing way for the government.
2: To be unfair to Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly? Is it possible that he simply has way too much a workload on his plate to be in charge of running the health service, in charge of learned the vaccinations, in charge of the mandatory quarantine, in charge of other things that there's actually too much work being given to one person, whether he's capable or not of doing it.
8: Well, I think you've, you've, there's, there's two issues there. One, absolutely too much work. And I think this issue that quarantine now has been, has been piled on top of it. But there are also questions about the Minister's competence. There can be no doubt about that. He left a Cabinet subcommittee meeting on Covid on Monday where nothing was being discussed for hours but Covid apparently um, specifically asked questions to do with what was happening with the return to schools and still gave a wrong answer and it was said afterwards that he, was, that he misspoke. There is actually kind of no explanation for that other than, than absolute incompetence or, or being really ill-prepared. Uh, I think how you
2: can re- you defend him? Have I'm you not- confidence in your Fianna Fáil Minister for Health?
4: Matt, look, I think we have to be honest with ourselves here. It hasn't been a good week for communications for the government. There's three parties in government and we're all responsible for that. Uh, and yesterday's plan that's announced is a whole of government response to how we manage Covid in the months ahead. That is all three parties and we have to take responsibility. So why
2: was the Minister for Health doing an interview on Monday night in advance of an announcement that was coming out yesterday Well, well, well again
4: we live in an era where, where we're constantly in communication with each other and every night of the week, because that's the, that's what, that's the situation we're in, 24-hour media. Yeah, and we there are times such as the
2: day before uh, but, you're but making but major in State of the yeah, Nation Yeah, but if, if we look back
4: to what he said, he kept saying that I can't clarify that until Cabinet confirmed tomorrow. But we always know... As you come closer to, to, to releasing a new plan or making changes with, with COVID, those those couple of days where we're all trying to to, to 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 move a certain direction or influence and so on, those couple of days you'll always have different conversations going on, and that that confuses the message. So hands up on that. But I think that brings the clarity that's presenting in it. a sort of a naive. No, no,
8: but there, that's, are that's there are three parties. There are three parties in government, but mm-hmm. it's made up of very experienced politicians. Mm-hmm. But I think the other issue that that accounts for this poor uh, performance for the government is people are really cheesed off about the quarantine issue and the government's response at every I mean to hear the Tisha or the to say this morning uh, in his interview on Morning Ireland that you know would you want to be quarantining people from the Isle of Man or from um, Iceland? I mean it, it, that was just facetious, really. I think we don't get that many that many visitors, and you you know it's 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 uh, just there's no I, I there's, have to answer there's, that. there's the, the answers a point, the answers generally are very feeble. I mean I have heard recently from a very good source, for instance that people that I mean I don't want to I'm loath to pick on one particular but to do with the brazilian variant that there are actually a number of brazil brazilian people in europe who have european passports including those who live in ireland right who may have gone home for christmas and come back you can fly directly flown to a european hub then flown in here but they won't. They didn't have Brazilian passports. No, they had. They had maybe a European German passport or, or an Portuguese Irish or whatever. Or what a Portuguese yeah, and most
4: likely? Again, the point I made earlier on: the legislation for quarantine is going through the houses today, and it doesn't say which countries. The regulations with that then say at any given time a minister can name the countries that you want to introduce hotel quarantine. Home quarantine is in place and has been for a number of weeks now. Also, the necessity to have a PCR negative test before you book a flight. So we've made a lot of changes since Christmas because of what happened OK, we only have so 30 seconds. So
2: you didn't answer a question I asked you. Stephen Donnelly got too much on his plate.
4: I mean, he's Minister for Health and even again when you go to quarantine it is a health measure because we're bringing it in because of health measures. That's why it doesn't fall to the adjusted. minister. No, but no, I mean, to be fair, every I think minister has the judge. All yeah. of us, we're a government together, I think it's Work unfair load. to pick one. Can every, one he's, person he's, deal with that workload? That's why he has a department. But every minister at the, is very, very busy because we're trying to manage COVID. I think it's unfair to pick if one. If I can briefly other. mix it's my it's a viruses, ministers
8: for minister, health are always treated like they have Ebola, right? So that nobody picks up any of the damage from them. In this instance, he's okay. got that and everything else.
2: Thank you very much, Alison O'Connor. Damien English. I'll be back on radio. Tomorrow afternoon, back here tomorrow night at the slightly later time of ten fifteen. Don't forget to download the Tonight Show podcast wherever you subscribe. Thanks for watching. Stay safe and have a very good night.
7: This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.